Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders, and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. Good morning and welcome to Refugee Radio Radio on 3CR. You're here with me, Zach, for my second session. Um, today we're going to continue to explore a, an issue that I began with my first um, session a month ago, which is the, um, the plight of refugees currently living in Indonesia. And we have an interview today with a refugee from Myanmar who is also very active in his, in his community in Makassar and Sulawesi. But I'll begin by um, sort of rehashing some of the sort of basic um, problems, that it, the, the, the basic situation that we have at the moment in Indonesia. So there's around 15,000 refugees currently living in Indonesia and most of them have been there for between six to ten years. They're from a variety of countries, Afghanistan, Sudan, Somalia, Myanmar, Iran and Iraq. And essentially they are currently stranded more or less in Indonesia and they've been told that they have very, very little chance of resettlement. One of the main reasons is because in 2014... The, um, the coalition froze all resettlement of refugees registered with the UNHCR in Indonesia. Um, and, yeah, so they've been told they have very little chance of resettlement. Um, Indonesia isn't a signatory to the UN Refugee Convention, and so refugees there are denied rights to work, free movement, the ability to engage in formal study or basically anything that would require an ID card. Um, so, uh, sort of a refuge, uh, a UNHCR, uh, well, not, that's not actually a UNHCR, an intergovernmental body called the IOM provides basic accommodation to refugees and asylum seekers in Indonesia, but it's, um, it stopped accepting new cases when Australia, its largest donor, um, reduced funding in March 2018. So, refugees registered with the UN before March 2018 in Indonesia received a monthly allowance of about, it's about like 100 Australian dollars a month from the IOM, 
but those who weren't registered before that date, which is around 5,000 refugees, as the SBS has reported, are currently living without any formal assistance. And that's led to a situation where many, many refugees have become homeless or destitute and living with intense material hardship. Um, Yeah, so it's a pretty dire situation right now. And I had the chance earlier this week to talk to J.N. Joniad, who is a refugee activist currently living in Makassar and also a refugee himself from Myanmar. And um, he sent me a brief bio, actually, which I'll just read out. So, having started studies in engineering with great promise in Myanmar, Joniad was forced to abandon his chosen career path and flee into exile. He has since become a student of political science, as well as a writer with human rights activists. Oh, sorry, as well as a writer and human rights activist with international support from many followers. He is contributing to film and publishing accounts of the Rohingya diaspora as he joins the multitude searching for a safe and durable solution for Rohingya everywhere. So let's have a listen to part one of our conversation where I ask him about the living conditions of refugees in Makassar and Indonesia more broadly. Well, uh, what I can say about the refugees' living condition in Makassar is that we are living in an open prison. That's what I can say first to describe about the refugees' situation in Indonesia because even though we are uh, said to be living in a in, in the city and IOM community house, we are still imposed many restrictions and our fundamental human right has been deprived and or, or denied because we have no right to work, no right to uh, to uh, leave this city, and and we are also denied, you know, our social uh, uh, social right and also right to education. So it is like living in an open air prison. And Indonesian Indonesian government treat us as illegal immigrant, even though we are uh, recognized as genuine refugees by the UNS here. So, and 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 as a result of this, uh, all these uh, situations, refugees are, you know, facing severe mental uh, disorder problems, and many have, you know, face untimely died at the age of between. 20 and 25 or 26 and there are many cases that the refugees died due to the uh, lack of medical care and the reason why there is a lack of medical uh, attention is because everything is under control by the IUN and refugees uh, you know don't get immediate uh, medical attention when they need it so just uh, last week there was a Somali that died because of this uh, situations and there are those that committed suicide uh, because they can't, you know, uh, uh, take control of their situation anymore. So I, from my experience, I have never heard that the, that the refugees in other countries have committed suicide. But in Indonesia, why it is a big question to ask that why refugees are committing suicide in Indonesia is because this is a harsh policy that that lead refugees to become mentally crazy that they can't control their life. So this situation is kind of, you know, uh, a kind of imprisonment and, and the system of operations. 
So that's what I can say about the refugee situation in Indonesia, that we are living in an unjustified, illegal limbo in an open prison. Okay, so that was part one of interview with Johnny Ad in Makassar, describing basically, you know, the situation of feeling as if you're living in an open-air prison. So, you know, with that background of just a feeling of of helplessness and despair and with, um, you know, with, well, like at least a third of the refugees there not having any formal support, a um, wave of protests began in early August this year in, I think it was six major cities in Indonesia, including Jakarta and Makassar, with um, <clears throat> refugees protesting out the front of UNHCR offices, basically calling on the UNHCR and Australia to take a to be more proactive in resolving this sort of protracted limbo that refugees in Indonesia find themselves find themselves within. Um, the protests continued throughout August. And in Makassar, where Johnny Ad is, on the island of Sulawesi, the protests also took place at the Australian consulate, um, where refugees called on the Australian government to end its freeze on the resettlement of refugees registered with the UNHCR in Indonesia. At one of these protests at the um, Australian consulate on the 29th of August, around 400 refugees gathered to protest... And uh, 26 were taken into custody and are still, to this day, being held in an immigration detention centre in Makassar. And Johnny Ad also reports that other refugees were beaten and one was hospitalised. Um, I also asked Johnny Ad about these arrests and let's have a listen to that now. Did you want to maybe sort of give some background to the, the protests? that happened in Makassar and the arrests that you mentioned in that post? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, uh, as you can see, there is no apparent solution for the refugees in Indonesia. On one side, UNICEF said that the resettlement, if it ever exists, could take up to 10 years or more. And, and on the other hand, Australia is trying to push refugees to accept the voluntary return, even though it is it is risky to go back to the country where we fled the war and conflict to save our lives. So it seems like everyone is pushing us to go back to our country and die there, not in the regions, not in the regions of Australia's and the and the and the international control, but die in your own country. We don't want you here. So which means we are left with no option, you know. Uh, uh, for for a safe future, so that's why we uh, we thought that this is the only option that we could seek, you know, international attention to solve our problem and find us a solution. Then we started our protest on sixth of uh, August, and and the but the Indonesian government considered our protest as illegal and had threatened us that the our protest is breaking Indonesian uh, law and and the local might reject us which could make our life difficult to stay in Indonesia and following this threat they have arrested 24 of us you know and they are still in detention now 
Yeah, on the third day of our protest, the local and the police have assaulted us, and 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 they forcefully loaded us into the uh, police car and driven away. Another refugees were, uh, you know, uh, false and maybe got beaten. He got unconscious and he was hospitalized. But on the 26th, uh, on the on on 26th, on 29th. Uh, this incident, when the uh, when the police arrested 20, 26 of us and refugees were actually beaten, uh, and then he was immediately taken to hospital. So as we are protesting, they are actually abusing us and assaulting us uh, with harsh measures, and and they they are taking uh, law enforcement against us, even though our protest is peaceful. This is because Indonesians, uh, actually, Indonesian government do not consider refugee as real in the country, and and treat us as uh, as guests. That's what the uh, government spokesperson told us during the meeting that that the refugees in Indonesia, you know, uh, that they said that he said that the uh, Indonesia does not have any legal legal obligation to. Uh, to, uh, to accept refugee in Indonesia, and that we are uh, we are accepted as a guest in Indonesia. So they said we have no right to conduct protests and and disrupt the society. But we have never disrupted the society. We are just simply peacefully protesting at the UNSCR office, seeking a solution for our future. We might still face you know harsh harsh measures. And detention in the future, but we will not stop our protest because this is the only option left for us. Are the people arrested still in the custody of Indonesian government? Yeah, they are still in 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 detention in immigration detention center. We protested there last week, two or three times, and and on 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 Friday the immigration promised us that they will be released on Monday this week. But they didn't. They lied us. They are still in detention.
Welcome back to Refugee Radio on 3CR. We just heard Votive from the album Border Ballads by Richard Skelton. Um, today we're listening to a pre-recorded interview with Johnny Yard, a refugee activist and refugee presently living in Makassar, Indonesia. Um, my friend Nicole Kirby uh, wrote in a recent article for Overland, Quote, Scott Morrison claims boat turnbacks are a success, but what lies on the other side of that policy is being, is being ignored. In place of a quick death by bomb blast, war at home or drowning at sea, refugees feel as if feel they've been left to slowly wither and perish in Indonesia. In the next section, I asked Johnny Ad about Australia's policy of deterrence, which he sees as the root cause of the problem refugees in, in Indonesia are facing. You said you wanted to talk about sort of the impact of deterrence as a sort of policy strategy. Well, I mean, the, one of the reasons why refugees, uh, you know, have been stuck in Indonesia, it's not entirely because that there is no a uh, country that is willing to resettle refugees from, from Indonesia. Before 2013, there was a fear process of resettlement for refugees in Indonesia, but it suddenly has stopped. This process suddenly has stopped because Australia has implemented this so-called sovereign operation border policy in 2013. The, it is the same policy which, which was implemented in Nauru and Papua. So it is, a, it is one arm policy extended toward Indonesia. They believe that stopping resettlement and, and, and driving refugee, you know, uh, to give up and that there is no solution for refugees in Indonesia. They believe that refugee will give up and repatriate themselves. This all because eventually they want to stop the boat going to Australia. So Australia is using this kind of method to... Uh, to stop the boat going to Australia. So Indonesia is the transit country, which uh, everything start from. So they start, you know, this this policy implementation in Indonesia, uh, you know, in the first place in 2013. So since then, the refugees uh, resettlement has been blocked and, and there is uh, no option for refugees and Australia has opened the detention in Indonesia. Australia has founded the police and immigrations to detain refugees, you know, in Indonesia before uh, taking boat to Australia and 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 throw IUM there on the detention facilities. Yeah, I mean, it is all because of this deterrent policy, just like uh, just like the refugees. Uh, in Manus and Nauru, refugees in Indonesia are also facing the same impact of Australian policy. So everything, you know, that refugee expected from the UN international community has faded away because of the uh, Australian deterrent policy. So, yeah, I mean, if Australia do not do anything, uh, if Australian government doesn't take any uh, any uh, uh, action to uh, improve refugee situation in Indonesia, I'm afraid that things would go very worse and Australia has to change its policy 
unless it changes policy, there would be no improvement or developments in the refugee situation in Indonesia. And Australian governments tell the citizens that we have to stop the boat because many people are dying at the sea. They never tell to the citizen how many people have been you know, killed by these deterrent policies. You know, in, in Manaru and Papua, many people have committed suicide and many have faced death because of this policy. So what I would say is that even if they consider that it is important to protect the border by uh, implementing such kind of, you know, hard policy, barbaric policy, I would say that there is a better rational way to actually do this thing. If Australia, uh, for example, Australia has spent over $10 billion on deterrent policy. This money could have been used to improve refugee situations in the region so that the refugee don't have to take boat to Australia. For example, if refugee in Indonesia are allowed to have their basic right and, 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 and have the freedom to rebuild their life, why would they go to Australia? I mean, if I had my basic right in Indonesia, I would not take boat to Australia. I fled my country to seek a safe place and rebuild my life. If I, if I am given this opportunity, why would I risk my life in the ocean? So there is a, always a better way to solve the problem. But Australia has chosen the negative policy to do these things. And, and even this doesn't require to spend this much amount of money. What is, uh, what is in you, what, one of the things that UNSC are lacking to resettle refugees is the funding. They don't have enough funding to resettle refugees. So if Australia does not want to take refugees from Indonesia, Australia could fund UNSCR to resettle them to other countries. That's also one of the solutions to stop the boat to Australia. Yeah, there's always, you know, rational decision to make. It's just that politicians sometimes, you know, decide uh, to use their own interests in order to remain in power. So they use this kind of narrative that only hard and harsh kind of policy can protect the border. No, there is always a better way to do things right. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Refugee Radio on 3CR. 
Today we've been listening to Johnny Ad, a refugee activist and refugee, a Rohingya refugee from Myanmar, who is currently living in Makassar, Sulawesi, in Indonesia. Um, we've heard Johnny Ad talk about the effects of Australia's policy of deterrence, about protests and arrests of refugees that um, have been happening over the last two months, and living conditions of refugees in Indonesia. Um, so just before we finish up today, we're going to listen to the final seg- segment of the interview with Johnny Ad. Was there, was there anything else that you, wanted, that you wanted to say that you haven't said so far? Well, what I would like to say uh, is a request to Australian citizens who are listening to our radio conversation is that I would like to request them to speak out, to raise our concern, you know, in the international community and everywhere as possible because refugee nowadays, right now, we cannot rely on the governments or any NGOs because they are all, you know, uh, involved in this political game that use us as hostage, you know, to deter, you know, potential arrival in Indonesia. So we have basically become a political element from refugees. We are not refugees anymore. We are being used as political element uh, to straighten the government policies and, and the NGOs' interests. So we have no hope that this government and the NGO will ever find us a solution. So we need citizens' power. And, and I would like to request, you know, citizens, uh, good citizens of the Australia to use your democratic power and influence your government because we are also human beings and we deserve to live as human beings. And we deserve a second chance to live. We are the victim of genocide and war. And and we have spent almost half of our life in misery. Now we deserve a better chance to live. That's all. Thank you. 